Welcome to Restitch America, a podcast about restoring civility, strengthening patriotism, and rebuilding unity in America. My name is Almohine Opari. As an immigrant for nearly two decades and a new American citizen, I created this show to help heal our national conversation, to rekindle our pride in our country, and to rebuild our sense of patriotism through optimism, civility, and willful positivity. Now sit, relax, and let's restitch America. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on episode number two of Restitch America. I'm really excited to be here with you today. My name is Almohini Opari. I want to start today's episode with an African proverb. So as I was thinking about last week and the results of the election, I tried to think about what lessons we could learn from that. And I found an African proverb from the country of Liberia in West Africa, which goes something like this. Don't look where you fell, look where you slipped. As I pondered this proverb over the past week, I began to realize just how profound it is. Sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves so focused on the pain and hurt that accompanies a fall that we completely ignore where and why we tripped in the first place. Were you running too fast? Was there an obstacle that you did not see coming? Was it intentional or merely an accident? And could you have avoided it altogether? Is there a lesson that you can learn from the experience? I think these are some of the questions we should be asking ourselves as conservatives. And the truth of the matter is, no matter how careful you are, at one point or another, you're going to fall. And because that is going to happen, it is crucial that we look back and investigate why we tripped. It is incumbent upon us to seek to understand the circumstances that led to the outcome we now face. Sometimes we may find that the circumstances were completely out of our control. In other times, we may see a chain of events, whether intentional or not, that led to that fall. In some cases, we will be responsible for it. In other cases, we may be the victims of others' actions. Either way, investigating why we slipped in the first place is the first step to the healing process. And sometimes I know it's a bitter pill to swallow, but going through that step is necessary on our road to recovery. My advice to you is this. The next time you make a mistake, don't look where you fell look where you slipped. One of the most important things I think that comes out of such an exercise is that it's not just about determining where you slipped so you can help yourself in the future. It is also about letting the people who come after us know so they don't slip in that same location again. I think that's the most important thing. And so let's remember the next time we fall, Don't look where you fell, look where you slipped, and use that knowledge to help others have a better chance than you did. Our African proverb segment today is brought to you by KeepMyFollowers.com. KeepMyFollowers is a platform I built a few months ago to push back against big tech and social media censorship. It is mainly for creators and influencers who don't want to lose access to their follower community due to banning, account suspension, or outright cancellation. KeepMyFollowers.com separates your content from your followers, so in the event of censorship, you can still reach your followers by email. It takes less than five minutes to set up your profile, and your followers can begin following you immediately after that. Please help support this show by checking out KeepMyFollowers.com and help us protect free speech in America. All right, let's move on to our next section of the show today, and that's going to be our news segment. So a couple of things are happening right now. And the most important thing that everybody's talking about today is Trump's announcement from yesterday. 
Trump announced that he is seeking re-election in 2024. If you've been listening to me for the past year, you will notice that I very rarely talk about Trump. I've talked about making America great again because I believe it's a principle that should unite every American because that's our goal. As an immigrant, I came here because of certain principles and values, and I want those principles and values restored. And so when I hear Make America Great Again, it resonates with me because that's where I want us to end up. In light of that, though, my feelings about Trump (laughs) is very unique. And I wanted to take a few minutes to kind of share with you my understanding of him and his presidency. Both times that Trump was running for president, I was not a citizen. And so I could not vote at the time. And so I took the opportunity to be a spectator and to watch what everybody else was doing so I could understand kind of what their motivations were. And so that I was not emotionally invested in him or anything else that was going on. In the beginning of the process, my candidate at the time, you know, if I were to support someone was Ted Cruz. And as we went through the entire campaign process, Trump comes along and he's like the hammer, right? (laughs) That bashes anything in his way. And so I went through ups and downs with my experience with him. And bottom line is, I kind of understand where he comes from. I kind of understand what his sense is. And I think the four years of his presidency was crucial for America. Because I'm thinking, if this pandemic was going to happen to us, imagine if we were in a very weak economic state when that happened. We would have gone into a depression. The fact that our economy was very strong, the fact that our unemployment was very low, the fact that inflation was so low, everything was kind of set up to allow us to be able to even go through this huge challenge without, you know, coming out on the other side completely wrecked was important. I don't think that's something a lot of people talk about. The fact that we had an economy that was booming made it so that this pandemic didn't destroy everything. That's something I really appreciate about him. I tried to think about an analogy that I could use to explain to people how I felt about Trump. And the analogy that kept coming to my mind was this. Trump is like a boxer. I I recently started boxing a little bit, so I understand the mechanics of boxing. The, The benefit of having a boxer like Trump is that he never quits. He never throws in the towel and he punches hard. When someone punches him, he punches back. And that's good because we see him as a fighter who is fighting for the things we believe in. That's refreshing. However, one of my challenges with him is the fact that as a boxer, he is not very disciplined. One of the things that they teach you as you start to box is always keep your hands up. You never let your guard down. I know you've probably seen a boxer who is really good at, you know, throwing the jabs and boxing, but they never cover their faces. And what that does is it allows them to become a target. They may not always get hit, but when they do get hit, it's much harder than it would have been if their hands were up. That's how I see it. He fights the good fight, but at the same time, he lets his guard loose such that even small punches end up hitting him. And when those punches hit him, his response to them is always that counter punch. Sometimes it works and other times he hits a baby. And then everybody is, you know, for the next three weeks talking about that. And it distracts everybody from the ultimate goal, which is to preserve the republic. I think that's the ultimate goal. And so yesterday I was listening to his speech 
And he sounded quite different from the Trump of yesteryear. <laughs> he, he sounded even different from the Trump from last week, who was attacking DeSantis and so on. He was very different. He sounded much more subdued. There was a section in his speech where he, he looked at the media, and normally the, the Trump of old will say, you know, that the fake news media in the back over there. But he specifically said, I'm not even going to call you fake news. <laughs> so he, he is changing a little bit. I don't know how long this lasts, but he is kind of modifying his delivery a little more. Now, the challenge for the conservative movement is making that decision as to whether we are going to back him fully or whether we're going to fracture like we did in 2020, where you have some Republicans who made it their job and their goal to prevent him and to thwart him in everything that he did. Is that what is going to happen? And the other challenge that I see also is that I think the way he was treated by the media and the fact that everything that was said about him for the most part was negative, created a certain kind of trauma in people. And so when he comes back on the stage, a lot of people may have forgotten about their feelings for Trump and that trauma that they felt because they were waking up every day and having to deal with something else that the media said he had done. And so for some of those people, as soon as they hear him back on stage and they see him back on the media over and over, it really is going to bring back that trauma that the media had put them through. So the question is, is he going to peel any of those people back into his camp? Is he going to be able to do that? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Has he gotten to the point where it doesn't matter if he is transformed into an angel somehow? People are going to remember how they felt when he was being bashed every single day by the media. People are going to remember that. And the question is, is he going to be able to overcome it? Or are we going to basically revert back to the trench lines of 2020 and everybody's going to go back onto their side and none of the arguments are going to penetrate? I think where we are considering the elections last week is that we can't rely on the middle to be our saving grace when it comes to moving people towards conservatism. I think our message has to be broad and appealing enough to begin to appeal to people who may not consider themselves even conservative or on the right. And until we do that, we will continue to see results like we saw last week. And the reason is because I think if you cannot root people in an ideology that they can understand, that they can embrace, then what you end up with is who can make the best promises. And we've, what we saw was basically a lot of people who believed the promises of the left, who believed that they could get their student loans forgiven, who believed that even though abortion had been sent back to the states and they still had the power to determine in their own state what was going to happen, they still believed that there was a party that was going to codify Roe versus Wade on the federal level. So it becomes a battle of promises. Who can promise better? But I think our American experiment is not about promises and what the government can give you. Our American experiment is about foundational principles that should transcend any particular government or any particular personality. And that's where we need to get people. And so our message is not just about, hey, we can make the economy better. Our message should be that yes, our principles may make the economy better, but that's just a byproduct of principles that are founded in a true understanding of human nature. 
an understanding of our role in the world, an understanding of what it takes to help people reach their full potential. That is where our messaging should be focused on. And I don't see that. I think we've gotten into the world where we're more focused on who can deliver this and who can deliver that. Because seriously, you could be in Russia and have very, very cheap gas. But does that solve the problem of not having freedom in Russia? It doesn't. So if someone came to you and said, hey, you know what? I just have a formula for reducing the gas prices and tomorrow the gas prices will be $1. Is that it? Is that how easy our votes can be bought? Or are we looking at the big picture and trying to understand whether the principles that undergird anything that we think we want from our government are sound principles? I've heard so many times people, especially on social media, people will go to other countries and they will you know, show videos of those countries and then they will compare it to America. So for instance, you know, if you go to Los Angeles, you're going to see a lot of homeless and you're going to see a lot of, you know, people on the streets, tent cities and so on. And then you go to China and you see very clean streets in some areas and so on. And then they do a comparison and they say, well, we're bashing China all the time, but look at their communities. Look at how clean they are. And then look at our communities. And the question I ask myself when I hear those arguments is, are you willing to give up your freedom for a clean street? Is that worth it? Today, we have a lot of our younger generation who are making those calculations and they're thinking only about what they can get today from their government, what physical material thing they can get today. And so if tomorrow someone comes to them and says, look, free college, free cars for everybody, they don't look at that and think, what's the catch? What am I going to give up here? Because for many of them, they think freedom is a staple that just exists like the air we breathe. They think it's something that is just there. And so it's always going to be there. If freedom is never going to go away, then enjoy life. And the way I can enjoy life is not have any responsibilities. I can just get everything I need from the government. And that's the way to happiness. So our messaging has to be deeper than that. Our messaging has to say, hey, we may endure difficulties. We may endure challenges and trials because our fight is not so you can eat tomorrow and be hungry the next day. Our fight is a long play for something much more valuable, which is to maintain human freedom and human flourishing. And that's something that I think needs to be the focus of the conservative movement. This is my long-winded way <laughs> of saying, if Trump is truly transformed, and that is debatable, <laughs> and if we can move away from the personality attacks and we can move away from the infighting, then maybe there is a possibility that we can be united enough to go into 2024 with the kind of coalition that is needed to make a dent. So we had the midterm and the results, of course, were completely disappointing. And then we have now this new announcement of Trump running. And I think a lot of emotions are going to be floating around. And I think a lot of people are hearkening back to how they felt when Trump initially announced and, and the entire four-year presidency of Trump and all the successes that we are so proud of, but at the same time, remember basically the trauma that the media put us through. I think the challenges that we all went through uh, throughout that you know 2020 election, and I think there are a lot of things that are unresolved. And my fear is that it's all going to bubble up it's all going to come back up. So kind of tying this into the African proverb at the beginning, if we are to go back and look at where we slipped, what exactly are we identifying as the thing that caused us to slip? We know that the media played a huge role in the way Trump was perceived. 
And then as I think about the midterms, I, I think the challenge was, what was our message? I think we didn't have a coherent message because the other side was just making promises and people are currently now addicted to these promises. Funny thing, they're realizing that some of these promises are not going to come true, especially with the student loan thing, which now has been blocked by two courts right now. So they're realizing that promises are not always going to come true. And there are tools that are used to manipulate people to get their votes. And so this is the opportunity we have to leverage that feeling that these young people are having to say, it's not about the promises, it's about the principles. And if you can focus on those principles and recognize that sometimes when you focus on principle, you may not get what you think you want right now. But the bottom line is, can we get them to focus on what is more important for them in the future rather than what they think they need right now? And that is where I think our movement needs to focus on. And if we don't do that, we will continue to see this slide of our next generation into a mindset that is looking for a Santa Claus, you know, someone who is going to just give them the things they want. And I promise you, it's very difficult. I would say it's almost impossible to run against Santa Claus. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit and I want to kind of lighten the tone a little bit and share some more about our culture wars today. So in our culture wars segment today, I want to talk about immigration. And this is something that is consistently plaguing our country. When Trump ran the first time, one of the pillars of his messaging was immigration. And a lot of people over the years have asked me what my experience was. And as you all know, it took me 18 years to become a citizen. But I think a lot of people don't truly understand the process and how it takes some people 18 years or, you know, how it, for some people it's easier. And then also, what are my feelings about illegal immigration and maybe whether I have any proposals for how to solve that. And so let's jump into that a little bit. When I came to America, I came to America in 2003, I came to America as a religious worker. And so one thing you need to know about an immigration system is there are two main parts. One is a non-immigrant process, and then the other part is an immigrant process. So just because you come to America does not mean that you are allowed to stay here permanently. It does not mean that you're allowed to even apply for citizenship. It's not like that. You know, when you come into the country, you're either coming in as a non-immigrant or as an immigrant. And what that means is you have to promise that you would return if you're a non-immigrant. And you have to prove to the people who interview you that you have resources and you have you know, ties to your home country such that you're going to return. On the other hand, if you're coming here as an immigrant, that's a little different. And that process usually sets you on a path to citizenship. That's the main difference. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that is the case. So I came here on a non-immigrant path, which means that there was no real path to citizenship for me until I was able to transition from there to an immigrant path. And so when I talk about my 18 years, it wasn't like I start, you know, I got into America and I said, hey, I want to be a citizen today. And they said, well, it's going to take you 18 years to become a citizen. That's not how it started. You know, going through the immigrant process actually took only 10 years. However, the first eight years, I was a non-immigrant and I had to go through the process and the steps to get to the point where I could begin my transition to an immigrant. Okay, so it's a little bit complicated, but I'll summarize it in this way. I got here, I went to school, and then once I was done with school, I was hired by a company. Usually, for most people, to get on a path to citizenship, you either have to be sponsored by a company or you could marry an American. If you marry an American, that's the fastest path to getting on the immigrant path. 
as long as the marriage is legal. <laughs> On the other hand, for most people like me, it's through employment. And so you hope to find a company that's willing to sponsor you. I was lucky and eventually I was able to find a company to sponsor me in 2013. And it is through that process that I was able to get my green card two years later. So from 2003, when I got here all the way to 2013, I had no path to citizenship. There was no means for me to actually begin the process of applying for citizenship. And so in 2013, I was able to do that. I got my green card in 2015. And then after that, I was able to wait five years. So once you get your green card, you have to wait five years. So I was able to wait five years. And then once that happened, I could apply for citizenship. And then COVID hit. And so I was delayed for another year. And so it ended up being 18 years instead of 17 from the time I entered the country. I am not necessarily bitter about the process per se. I, I think when I think about it, I am privileged that it finally happened for me. You know, my brother came to America as well, and he married an American. So his path was much faster than my path. And so he became American much, much sooner than I did. However, when I think about the process, I know that there's a lot that can be done to make it or streamline it. And I think one of the things, for instance, is the fact that I was educated here. I got my bachelor's and master's here. And I think one of the proposals in the past was that if someone comes to America and gets educated here and it gains all these skills here, why do you then you know, send them off back to their own country so that they can go compete against us? Right? It doesn't make any sense. And so maybe if there is a process that says, hey, you're educated here, you obey the law while you're here, you follow the rules, then we're going to give you a path to citizenship, you know, whether you have a sponsor or not. Maybe that's something that could be done. But I also understand the concerns of people who say, hey, is this going to depress our wages? Is this going to you know, affect Americans? And I understand that, and I'm not going to dismiss that at all. I think it makes sense for any country to be able to say, hey, how many immigrants are we admitting here, and how does it affect our own people who are born here? And so I think it's, there's nothing wrong with thinking of America first, even as you think about immigration. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do understand that there are a lot of immigrants, and there's so much that they can bring to this society, and they've already done that. Our country is built on immigrants. And so... I think the way we look at it is from a pragmatic standpoint to say, okay, what is best for America and what types of immigrants can really elevate America and help us continue to win this global battle of technological dominance and, and so on and so forth. I think that's, that's where the focus should be. So when I think about my journey, you never hear me say negative things about that process. I just say it took 18 years, but I'm happy that I'm here today where I am. And I'm not bitter about it. Now, if there is any part of that process that bothers a lot of legal immigrants like me, it is the illegal part of immigration. Because as a legal immigrant, one of the things that I lived under for the most part was the fact that I had to make sure that I was not in trouble with the law at any point. Because as soon as you got in trouble with the law, you would immediately be put on a path to deportation. Not only that, I could also not afford to lose my job. Because if I lost my job, I don't know if you know this, but if you have a work visa and you lose your job, your employer gives you a one-way ticket with your last paycheck back to your country. So imagine losing your job. You have a home in the U.S. You have kids who are American. 
and you lose your job. And within 24 hours, you have to leave the country. For me, I came here when I was 19. So I never grew up as an adult in my country. I never built anything. I never had a job in my country outside of working for my parents. And so I don't have any professional you know, connections set up. I don't have anything. So going back to my country basically starts me at the bottom of the economic ladder. I basically have to start all over and work my way back up. And I don't even know what opportunities are available to me because I've I never lived there. And so for me, it was important not only to obey all the laws, but also make sure that I wasn't in a position to lose my job. And because of that, I was restricted from what I could do in terms of employment. You were limited to working in the area of your study. And so that was something that I had to deal with. So when I compare that to illegal immigration, this is how I feel. Illegal immigrants have much more freedom than people who are here legally. Because when you come here illegally, there's no determination around what you can do for work. As long as you found somebody willing to pay you under the table, or you found somebody's fake social security number, or you through some kind of identity theft process, you got some identity that allowed you to work, then there were no restrictions. And so I was here thinking, well, I can't take this job because that means I'll have to restart the entire process. But the illegal immigrant can go do anything they wanted because there was nobody tracking any of that. And so that was one thing that I felt was unfair because there were moments in my life where I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start my own company, but the rules did not allow me to do so. And so that's one part that I think is a little unfair in the process. And then number two, what is our goal as a country with respect to immigration? Is our goal just to bring people here for economic opportunity? Or is our goal to invite people here who want to become part of our society, who want to understand our principles and values, who want to assimilate, who want to build a social fabric that is cohesive? Is that our goal? Or are we just bringing people to come and cash a paycheck. And I think that's something we need to determine. What is the purpose of our immigration system? And the challenge that I see is a lot of these people who are coming here, by virtue of breaking the law to get here, you have, I would say, poked a hole in the social fabric already because law breaking breaks down our society. And so if you come here and you break the law and you get here, and then we say to you, oh, well, you broke the law. That's, you know, water under the bridge. You know, now let's make you legal. I think... It's almost like the way I look at it is like going to the store, having my child grab something they didn't pay for, put it in their pocket. And then when I come home, I see that they had something they didn't pay for. And then I say, hey, you know what? That was not good. You shouldn't have done that. But you already got it. You know, just don't do it again. You can keep this one, but don't do it again. What message will I be sending to that kid? And so for me, I feel like when people are coming to our country, we expect them to understand that this is a place where there's rule of law. So you can't come here illegally and expect to have the protections of the rule of law. A lot of these people are fleeing countries where the rule of law did not exist. And so we need to communicate to them that you don't want to basically rebuild the same system you're running away from. If we allow you to come here illegally, then you are basically recreating the system of corruption that you are fleeing from. And so I think 
if someone were to ask me for my advice on illegal immigration, this is what I'll say. I'll say there needs to be a law passed that basically says something like this. If you come to America illegally, you will never have a path to citizenship. We will never allow you to keep the thing you took illegally. So if your goal is to become American and your goal is to have the ability to thrive in this country and not live in the shadows, you have to come here legally. And for those who are already here, you have to say to them, yes, you have taken something that did not belong to you, something that so many other people are waiting in line right now to get. And so the only way you can rectify this process is to go back and return legally. And I know that's going to be hard for some people, but you have to because we can't let you keep the thing you took because that, that creates a precedent that goes against everything we stand for as a country. And I think that can be, in reasonable terms, some exception for children who were brought here where they didn't make their own conscious effort to break the law. It was their parents. So I can understand that. But we can carve out an exception for people like that um, and say, okay, you did come here illegally, but we're not going to hold the child, the minor child, responsible for the sins of their parents. So in that case, you could make an exception, and I'm okay with that, even as a legal immigrant, I think. Uh, and I've spoken to a lot of legal immigrants who understand that as well, who say, look, that doesn't bother me as much because these kids did not make that choice themselves. But for the adults, we can't reward lawbreaking. That's something we can't do because um, in the end, what, what is the difference between America and the country I came from? Like, what would be the difference then if you can just sneak in, break the law, and then just wait you know, in the shadows until some politician promises to make you legal in exchange for your vote? And basically, that's the bargain that is being given right now is, hey, we'll make you legal. So in 13 years, 14 years, you remember us so you can vote for us. That's the bottom line. And so that's my feeling about illegal immigration. I think immigrants definitely do provide a lot of culture, a lot of things that I think helps our society. And I love that. When I lived in Los Angeles, every time I would meet somebody from a different country, I would write down the country. And I met people by the time I was there for two years, I had met people from 50 different countries. And I thought that is amazing. I thought, isn't that special that we can create a society that can allow people from all walks of life to be able to thrive, to come with all their backgrounds, their diversity, their views on different things, and still be able to coexist in a peaceful way? I think that is special. That is really special about America. But I think the most important thing is the rule of law, because none of that is going to matter if our laws are not followed. All right, so let's jump into our Ask Me Anything segment. Um, what I wanted to do this time is to highlight a couple of supporters that have helped me through this process. I know this is a work in progress. I've said that a few times, and I, I hope it gets better as we go along. So today, I just wanted to thank all those people who have, you know, for, for your wonderful messages. And I want to thank especially um, Angel Rivera. Um, she commented on one of my videos. She said, you know, congratulations, sir, on your first vote. You're a true American. God bless you and your family. Now, when I hear things like that, it really, you know, warms my heart because I, I think we're making a difference, right? And that, that is what my focus is on. If we're making a difference, I think that's really important. And I also got another um, message from Jesse Ibarra, uh, who said, thank you for looking so proud. Not like some of those people born here who take things for granted. Hurrah. Way to go, brother. Keep yourself in those beautiful colors, red, white, and blue. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, Jesse. Another person, Terry, said, 
Happy Election Day. It is really an honor to select the candidates that we want to represent us. I love your comments. I love to hear them. I love to read them. This is the thing that makes me want to do this. This is the thing that inspires me. And as I said, I want to restitch America. And one of the things that I've learned over time is that when you're doing something worthwhile, you attract people who help you on that path because they resonate with your goals and what you're trying to do. And I think that's what happened to me. So I want to share with you a little bit of a story about someone who is actually helping me with this show today. She is my producer and her name is Jenny Johnson. So Jenny, I'm going to bring Jenny up here in, in a couple of minutes to just say hi to all of you. But I, I want to share how Jenny and I met and why I believe there's no coincidence in the world. You know, someone somewhere said to me a long time ago, said, coincidence is a situation in which God chooses to be anonymous. And I think that's exactly what happened here. So I posted a video a few months ago, and in the video, I was wearing a t-shirt that, you know, had a logo on it. And my wife asked me, and she said, why are you wearing a t-shirt? Don't you think you're going to be identified? by someone. So my wife was more concerned that, you know, there are crazy people in the world. And so you want to, you know, hide your identity and all that, especially where you live. But I didn't think anything of it. And I posted a video anyway. And funny enough, someone saw the video and recognized the logo on my shirt. And so she wrote to me and I'm going to actually have her share her side of the story. <laughs> so I know you guys have heard my side if you've been listening to me for a while, but I'd like Jenny to come on and, and share her side of the story. So Jenny, go ahead. <laughs> well, it actually wasn't the logo because you actually did a good job of hiding it, but it was the shirt itself because I had the same shirt. <laughs> um, I We were both coaches in our, our kids' soccer league. And so I, I recognized... The, the, the shirt itself and um i had seen alma's video that he had posted on his letter to president biden and something that really resonated with me when i watched that video was he was saying a lot of the things that i had been feeling in my heart and especially the feelings i had felt at 2020 and throughout covid and all the things that i i felt towards our country and i couldn't understand why people were still so so divided on things and there were lots of things that I felt like could connect people that could bring people together and I felt like Alma touched on all of those those topics and so and the funny thing was is as I was watching him and it's funny that you you said something about like coincidence and like and like oh god you know had playing a role in it because as I was watching I just felt like there was this connection like I knew who Alma was I knew exactly his goal like I knew how you know what he was communicating to me and in some way I was like I don't know how I know this person and it was kind of funny that like we had actually run into each other like at different moments and I think there were times I coached on the field where you were on the field and we didn't really know each other but we had crossed paths at some point and but like I felt like I knew you as a person and so I was like this is this is random like and so I it felt too good to be true. And at first I ignored it. And I was like, oh, well, it's probably, you know, a lot of people are resonating with him. There's a lot of people leaving comments. So I kind of just put it to the wayside. But then I kept having this feeling that, no, he need to like reach out to him. And I didn't know how. And I thought it was, this is going to be really creepy. <laughs> 
I like, I was like, this is a total creeper move. This is like random, but I reached out and, um, I said, you know, thank you for your message. And, you know, a lot of what you said had been thoughts that I've had in the past. Like I've, I've written things down that I, you know, two years ago, I thought needed to be said and people needed to receive comfort from. And, and I don't know, like, I can't even remember the whole message, but all I remember is that I was completely embarrassed that I sent it. <laughs> like I sent it and I was like <laughs> half hoping that like, please don't see this. Like, please have your messages blocked in some way so you don't like see this embarrassing post. I was really nervous with the response, but Alma responded. <laughs> um, and, but his response was very kind. And that's one thing that I've learned about Alma throughout this process is that he is someone that is genuine. And he responded in a very kind way. Thank me for my words and my support. And the funny thing is that he said that he's like, I actually don't want to do this alone. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, I'd rather have someone, you know, with me on this. And it was funny because I, I didn't want to be, you know, my, I didn't want to say things and do things on my own either. So I think just as people, one thing I've learned is that we're both optimists. We really like um, our country. We have a great love for our country, but we want to be able to fill people with goodness. We want to be able to fill people with things that uplift them. And I've always, been, I've always yep. been told throughout my life that if you want to have the good things in life, you need to surround yourself with those things. And if you want to improve in your life, you have to surround yourself with things better than you are. And so that's what we want to bring to the audience is we want to bring people closer together to look at more perspectives, to see each other as equals, and also try to actually empathize on a deeper level than just, you know, what we hear in today's world with, you know, everyone should empathize, but we actually want people to take the time to get, your, know your, get to know your neighbors. We want you to go out, talk to people yeah. and challenge you guys each weekly or each week <laughs> to actually get to know people, get to know your neighbors. And so that's kind of the goal. And yeah, I will be behind the scenes most of the time. You might hear me once in a while, but I am, I am the little person that's behind, you know, doing everything <laughs> and like helping yeah. things move along. <laughs> she is the wizard of Oz. She's the wizard of Oz in, in behind the curtain, uh, making sure everything's working and, and she's doing a good job at that. This is new for both of us. And, and so I've said this before, we reserve the right to get better. <laughs> And so this is going to get better as we get more experience with it. I think what matters the most, and my message to you guys is connect with what we're saying. Maybe the medium may not be perfect. Maybe the visuals may not be perfect. But as long as you can connect with the message and the love behind that message, I think that's what is important. And that's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with a feeling of knowing that you are listening to someone who is not just saying something because there's a paycheck at the end of it. I'm saying these things because I believe them. I believe them sincerely. And when I say I want to restitch America, it's not because it's some pipe dream that I have. And, you know, I, I want to be important in some way. I think it is necessary to have an America that is strong and united. Because the fate of the world itself depends on that. Because if America falls, a lot of things around the world will fall apart. I appreciate all the support so far. 
Um, please, if you're not following me right now, please go and follow me on social media. And then also, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family if you have not already done that. Because it's important for us to make a dent in the conversation. It is important for us to, to start kind of making a difference. And the way we do that is by increasing the number of people who hear this message. And so thank you for your current support. And, and we hope that we can grow this audience to make it even bigger. And one thing we promised that we will do every week is to give everyone a challenge. Because a lot of times I would watch or listen to a podcast or a show and I get riled up and get really excited, but then the show ends and I'm like, what do I do next? I think what should matter about listening to a podcast or listening to anything worthwhile is that there has to be a path drawn to how you can take what you've learned and apply it in a way that is productive in the world. And that's what I want to be the culture of this show. I want you to come every week and be expecting to get a challenge from us when it's all said and done. And then you, you go through the week, you fulfill that challenge, and then you come back the next week and I want to hear from you. And so I already gave the email, contact us at restitchamerica.com. I want to hear from you because I want to see whether this is actually changing lives. And the only way I can do that is to hear your stories. So our challenge this week is as follows. It says here, if you know someone who has immigrated to the United States, I want you to ask them their process and why they decided to come to America. I think what we need to do is start collecting these stories because I think those are the stories that will get through to our young ones. They were born here, many of them. They don't understand what life in other countries are like. And so we need to collect these stories and Imagine a book that contains, you know, let's say a hundred stories of a hundred immigrants that came here and why they did, why they chose America of all the places they could go. Imagine a book like that. And so if you want to be part of this process, my challenge to you this week, as I said, is find someone who is an immigrant who immigrated to the United States and ask them what their process was and why they decided to come to America. And then write to me and share that story with us. So that's your challenge for the week. And once again, I'm so grateful for you taking your time to spend some time with us today. And this journey of restitching America is going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be depressing. <laughs> but if we are in it together, I think we can make a difference. And I, I want to see the good that we can bring into the world with this movement. So thank you so much. And I hope to hear from you next week. 